Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Mission accomplished on yesterday's show. We talked about Taco Bell's Mexican pizza returning after initially being dropped off the menu by Taco Bell. A wonderful surprise, yes, but most likely a coincidence, right? I mean, having nothing to do with the fact that I, you know, spend like $150 there every day. But then I saw a note from Autumn in our YouTube comments from last night's episode that said this, thank you for raising the alarm about missing Taco Bell Mexican pizza. I have no doubt our public outcry over this travesty is what bought our beloved Mexican pizza back. Now we wait for the same great news about the return of the Chaco Taco. Now, first of all, you're welcome, okay? But like I said, I really don't know if we had anything to do with that, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it's just a happy little twist of fate, probably based more upon mar profit margins and marketability. Wait, what is, oh, oh my goodness. Klondike looking at bringing back Chaco Taco after consumer uproar? I <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've done it again. This audience is moving mountains. One data point is a coincidence, but two is a pattern. It's exactly how data works. Studas America is your new official savior of canceled goods. I promise to use this power only for good-ish things, which means we will soon see the return of High C Ecto Cooler. Yes, exclusively in juice box form. Jazz aerobics. I don't know why we'd want that back, but let's bring it back anyway. How about more seasons of Freaks and Geeks? I mean, I think Seth Rogen's like 70 now, and James Franco is a sex pervert, but bring it back anyway. Everything that's canceled will once again be here for us. Rejoice! The Choco Taco is on its way back, and I will be purchasing a separate freezer in my garage to stock up just in case they try to pull this stupid crap again. And if you have a product you want me to resurrect from the dead, Go ahead, tweet me at Stu Does America with the hashtag Stu Saves America, which isn't self-indulgent at all, and I will be sure to get right on it. Stu Does America. If you want to thank me for bringing back all of your favorite foods, blazetv.com slash stew is the place to go. Use the promo code stew and save yourself 10 bucks to spend on Choco Tacos. Ed Morrissey is here to break down the uneasy sanders Cinema Alliance on Build Back Better 2.0. Republican governors are starting to piss off the left and the media. I will tell you why, but we start by doing monkeypox. Monkeypox, one of the most fun diseases in the world to say, not to have, but to say. It is now officially a public health emergency. Yes, congratulations to the Biden administration doing everything they can to make sure you're thinking about anything other than their performance. But unfortunately, they're part of the story. And we'll get to that here in a second. Biden uh, officials have declared monkeypox a public health emergency, and we have the charts to scare you to death. Here they are. Look at that. It's a red line and it goes up and it goes up and then it goes almost straight up. That means you're going to die. Actually, you were going to die anyway, but I don't know if you're going to die from monkeypox. But a bunch of people have monkeypox here in the United States. Is that a terrible, terrible tragedy? Well, it's not fun. I'll tell you that much. Um, but there's five things to know about monkeypox. We're going to go through them right here on this program. So now you will know everything you need to know about monkeypox. Number one, nobody's died yet. 
at least not here in the United States. Now, across the world, I think there's been nine deaths, something like that. Um, there, uh, and, you know, look, this is all over. This is not me saying it. I'm not a monkeypox denier, boys and girls. But no, there haven't been any monkeypox deaths reported yet in the United States. And that's kind of important, though, of course, it can be really, really painful and awful if you get it. People describe it as like shards of glass in your skin. It lasts multiple weeks. Nobody's going to want to sit near you or touch you or shake your hand or any of that stuff because it's uh, kind of nasty. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't monkeypox and it was something else that kind of just looked like monkeypox but wasn't some really dangerous disease... I also wouldn't want to go near someone with that. We like to stay away from boils and pimples and whatever the poxes are, all the poxes. I mean, uh, we, have, we have cliches that talk about poxes. Uh, we, we, want, we want to be anti-pox. We are an anti-pox program here. So stay away from all poxes, no matter what pox it happens to be. Another thing you need to know about monkeypox, Biden screwed this one up. Two. Yes, you might think, wait a minute, this can't possibly be Joe Biden's fault, right? Well, eesh, I hate to tell you, uh, you know, it's not his fault that monkeypox was created, but it is kind of his fault about how poorly it's been going. And one of the good things about monkeypox, if there is one, is the fact that you can use the smallpox vaccine on monkeypox. So like we already have a long term proven vaccine, we didn't need to develop one. We didn't need any operation warp speed. We already had this one solved. So how on earth is it a public health emergency? Well, the government's been at work for you. The monkeypox vaccine. Well, we had 20 million doses of it not too long ago, but they all expired. <laughs> I mean, how embarrassing is this? At the start of the monkeypox outbreak in the U.S., there was only 2,400 doses of vaccine, a far cry from the more than 20 million it once held. And that's not entirely uh, Biden's fault, of course. It's been a long-term process there. But we, you know, basically developed this vaccine. Uh, can't we just get more? I mean, isn't that the way this is supposed to work? Well, yeah, we can. We absolutely can get more. Uh, Joe Biden just chose not to get more because... Uh, Everything he does turns to crap. U.S. could have had many more doses of monkeypox vaccine this year. The Department of Health and Human Services delayed asking the manufacturer to process the bulk vaccine the government already owned, already owned, into vials. I kid you not, this is actually what's going on. By the time the federal government placed its orders, the vaccine's Denmark-based manufacturer, Bavarian Nordic, had booked other clients and was unable to do the work for months, officials said, even though the federal government had invested well over $1 billion in the vaccine's development. Health and Human Services officials so miscalculated the need that on May 23rd, they allowed Bavarian Nordic to deliver 215,000 fully finished doses that the federal government had already bought, had already bought to European countries instead of holding them for the United States. Good, good job, Joe. Why does Joe Biden hate our LGBTQQIA2 plus community? We will never, 
ever know, will we? Well, let's ask the question. This is a tough one. This is the one no one wants to talk about. But you know what? You come to this show for me to say unpopular and uncomfortable things that eventually will get me kicked off the air. So let's just do it. Is this only affecting LGBTQQIA2+? Question mark. I don't know if question mark's part of the... Uh, the longer abbreviation, they seem to keep expanding it. Was that a question or was that just part of the abbreviation? I, I don't know. Here's the answer to that question. Yes and no. <laughs> so let's get into this because the New York Times wrote a piece about this. You know, a bunch of people have written about this. Most people, though, are not writing about it honestly. And I think it's important for you to understand this honestly. Let's start with the no part of the equation, because it's yes and no. The no part of the equation is you do not need to be gay to get this particular wonderful pox. Yes, you can get this pox. You can get this pox if you happen to not be a member of the LGBTQQIA2 community. Anybody can get Monkeypox. It all—it's not even a sexually transmitted, transmitted disease. If you remember early on in the HIV situation, there was this idea that only gay people could get it. It was a gay disease, and we sort of over time learned that it was a sexually transmitted disease. And the particular activity that goes on in uh, in that community is it maybe makes it a little bit easier to pass, but it is not the only way you can pass it. Uh, now we move over to monkeypox. Well. Anybody can get monkeypox. In theory, it's based on close contact, um, you know, usually extended skin-to-skin contact. If you're putting, you know, your hand and touching an open sore, this is starting to get gross, and then you're putting your finger in your eye or your mouth. First of all, it's disgusting. Second of all, you may very well get the monkeypox. However, that's the no part. So it is possible, certainly, for you to get the monkeypox if you are not part of the LGBTQQIA2 community. That being said, there's also a yes part of this, and here's the yes. So far, about 98% of cases worldwide are among men who have sex with men. Many of them have had multiple partners, sometimes strangers. Some early super spreader events were gay parties in Europe, which appeared to introduce the virus into the social networks of men who have sex with men. So, yes, you can get monkeypox if you are not gay and in the middle of uh, European orgies. But that's probably the most likely way for you to do it. And it's almost been almost exclusively in that community to this point. That doesn't mean eventually that might not, they may very well change at some point, but the intimate nature of contact here is important. Um, it's kind of a big deal. But honestly, what I took out of that last quote, yes, 98% is the headline. <laughs> it's a high, high number. But maybe more interesting to me is the phrase, Men who have sex with men. What? 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 Isn't that, didn't we always just say gay? Wasn't gay the term we came up with to describe men who have sex with men? And you might say, well, I don't know. They just, you know, they, they explained it a little bit more in depth. No, it's all over this article. It says men who have sex with men. In fact, it's all over Almost every article written about monkeypox, men who have sex with men, brought up over and over and over and over again. And I started to think, 
I, we use words in the language to summarize definitions, right? We don't want to say men who have sex with men every time. So we came up with, uh, first of all, it was homosexual. Then it was gay. There's been lots of other names thrown about as well. But the bottom line is they're all shorter than the phrase men who have sex with men. So why all of a sudden are we saying the full definition men who have sex with men? And I started thinking, is this some sort of new woke thing? Is this the type of thing that I haven't been following along close enough to the woke Olympics and all of a sudden I've, the, the word gay is now bad, is homosexual, is same sex. What, what it, did I miss a development here? And I had to keep, uh, you know, searching through multiple articles about this to finally see it explained. And the New York Times actually did it parenthetically for us. So follow along closely, boys and girls. These are the new rules. Although the virus is affecting mostly gay and bisexual men now, that could change if it continues to spread unchecked. Nothing about the virus limits its spread to only men who have sex with men. Parentheses, not all of whom identify as gay or bisexual. See? It's the LGBTQQIA2 plus community. And like someone who's in the plus or one of the Qs or maybe the two... They don't qualify apparently as gay because that's not how they identify. So no longer is men who have sex with men summarized to gay. Now it has to be fully said. So we can't use any word to summarize it because it could be any one of the 974 initials that I keep quoting to you over and over again. So that's a new rule. Get used to it or you'll get kicked off the Internet. Men who have sex with men. You're learning things on the show. Isn't this wonderful? And finally, where are the shutdowns? Where are the shutdowns? The fifth thing you need to know about monkeypox. Are you at all surprised by the reaction to monkeypox? Now, there are differences between monkeypox and COVID. Monkeypox is, is harder to acquire. It is, not a, um, it is not an airborne virus. It is a, a situation where, as we mentioned earlier, no one has died yet. And all these things are true, but I, I kind of remember a time in which when there was a virus floating around and people were at danger medically, that we shut down the entire country for like a year. We were telling people that they couldn't go to the funerals of their loved ones. We were telling people they couldn't go visit their, their loved ones in the hospital, even if they didn't have COVID. We were telling fathers they couldn't attend the birth of their children. Of course, we should note, fathers can, of course, give birth to their children. It's a total, that's another rule from a past show. If you missed that one, go back and look at the archives. The point here is we shut down everything. And what we said to people was, even those who really aren't at risk here, have to shut down their lives. Are you 22 years old and have basically no risk of dying of COVID? Well, you too have to stay at home. You can't do not only close talking, close talking indoors. You can't do 
anything. You can't go to work. You can't go to the gym. You can't go outside for in some places. You can't go to church. You can't go visit your relatives. You can't go see your uh, your cousins and your brothers and your and your and your sisters. You can't go see your parents as they're on their deathbed. You can't do anything. You can't eat. You can't uh, you can't go see a movie. You can't do any of the things that you enjoy or engage in for product, uh, productive behavior. Why? Well, you might get COVID. Now, sure, you're probably not gonna die from COVID, especially if you happen to be young and healthy, but you two have to turn off your entire life. Now let's switch to monkeypox. There's one community that is, uh, this is infecting 98% of the monkeypox cases. And almost all those cases are coming from these sorts of, let's call them get togethers in which people engage with sex, according to the New York Times, of multiple partners and sometimes strangers. And this, this government can't seem to bring itself to even ask this one tiny group of people to make any sacrifice whatsoever. And I'm not talking about uh, saying, hey, you can't be gay anymore. No, no, no. Just don't engage in sex orgies for like the next month. Seems like a somewhat legitimate idea to bring up at this point. Hey, guys, and we know they're guys because they're men who have sex with men. We just can you take off the, the most the most promiscuous edges from your current behavior? You know, promiscuous sex, probably never a good idea. But right now, Really a bad one. So we're thinking, don't do that for a while. Now, there have been some recommendations. Most of the recommendations have oddly been how to continue to do this by taking certain precautions that will lower your risk, which I guess is better than nothing, but still kind of a strange approach for a society that shut down the entire economy very, very recently. The New York Times even notes this. To lower the risk, gay and bisexual men can try to make sure their male sex partners do not have monkeypox. Watching out for sores. Quick break in this one because this is not just something you do during a pandemic or a public health emergency. You should always look for open sores before you have sex with someone. That's just a rule. Okay, that is like just a basic rule that... Gay or straight, whether you're in the L or the G or the B or the T or the Q or the Q or the I or the A or the 2 or the plus, I would recommend monitoring for open sores that are obvious pretty closely. Like, I, I would say don't do it if you see one. That's just a thing that I would internalize. But I'm not the New York Times. They do mention that. To lower the risk, gay and bisexual men can try to make sure their male sex partners do not have monkeypox watching out for sores. They can use a condom. Oh, oh, wow. What a good idea. Which can at least reduce the chances of getting sores in sensitive areas. You might still get monkeypox, but at least you won't get it on your junk. This is advice from the New York Times. They can temporarily reduce the number of sexual partners or avoid riskier activities such as anonymous sex and sex parties. I feel like that's always good advice. Practicing good hygiene like frequent hand washing can help too. Hand washing cannot bail you out of your frequent sex parties. You should still do it, but that's not going to be enough. 
absolutely amazing. And I think we look at this and we say, look at the way they handled COVID and look at the way they're handling this. This is hypocrisy. And at some point, at some level, that is a very good observation. But look, the truth is the monkeypox thing is far closer to the right way of handling a situation like this than the COVID shutdowns. Here's what you do as a government. Give people information and then allow them to assess their own risk. You want to go to a big gay sex party with a bunch of people with open source? Be my guest. I would recommend against it, but good luck with that. We're not going to shut you down. We're not going to make you stay home from work. We'll allow you go to go to funerals if there happens to be one. But know that the consequences are yours if the orgy goes awry. So remember, as you think about monkeypox, it's probably best to take a break from your gay sex parties for now. You can always resume these wonderful activities a little bit later on. But you're probably not going to die even if you do all the gay sex parties you can find on Craigslist. And I will say, even if you happen to get the vaccine, you probably still won't die from the gay sex parties. I will say this. Let's not shut down society again. One of the biggest risks we talked about endlessly as we went through the covid situation, which started, as I remind you, just a few weeks before the shutdown. This show basically brought the pandemic to America. And as we talked about it, one of the things we talked about most seriously was the potential for the next crazy virus that comes out of some other foreign country to elicit the same type of crazy response. Let's not do that. Let's not make those same mistakes this time. Let's let people make their own bad decisions if that's what they wish to do. And of course, the last thing to remember is this is Biden's America. He screwed this one up, too. When the summer heat is melting your popsicle, you need underwear that'll help your tall boy on ice. That's Tommy John. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because when you wear Tommy John, you're that much cooler. So you can do everything better thanks to breathable, lightweight fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. With dozens of comfort innovations, Tommy John will keep you looking and feeling cool all season long, from lounging at home to summertime fun. That's why Tommy John does not have customers. They have fanatics. And I'm one of them. I love Tommy John stuff. With over 17 million pairs sold, people love their Tommy John underwear and loungewear. And Tommy John doesn't just make you feel cooler. You actually are cooler. Stay up to seven degrees cooler than cotton in Tommy John's Apollo underwear. Plus, there's no risk because you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John slash stew right now. Do it. TommyJohn.com slash stew. Uh, you get 20% off your first order if you do so. Get 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash stew. TommyJohn.com slash stew. See site for details. And that site, of course, is TommyJohn.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Ed Morrissey to the program. He's a senior editor for Hot Air and host of the Ed Morrissey Show. Ed, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, in such a bizarre time, I, you know, I, I feel like when I saw the, the disastrous elections in Georgia back uh, right after, or I guess January 5th, uh, 2021, 
uh, I had the, the panic attack of, gosh, they're going to be able to get a couple of these packages through that are going to spend trillions and trillions of dollars uh, and only need 50 votes in the Senate to do it. And this is going to be a really rough time for anyone who cares about spending and all these terrible programs. And they got the first one through pretty quickly. There's been plenty of other spending in between. But this last one has so far not come through. We've been back and forth so many times. A lot of times it's been Joe Manchin, who's been kind of the highlight of, of the opposition. Also, Kirsten Cinema's been in there. Let's start with the Manchin part of this, because Manchin comes out and says, this is over. I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Forget it. And then a couple weeks later, all of a sudden, he struck a deal. How, is, how does this happen? You know, your guess is as good as mine on this. I'm not sure why he decided to cut this deal unless he was just tired of getting the grief from the progressives in his own party. Uh, I suspect that what's going on here is that he's not really interested in running for re-election in 2024, which is the next mm. time his seat is up. And, you know, he's going to have to run in West Virginia, where every single county went red in 2020. There isn't another Democrat in statewide elected office. And I don't think there's a whole lot of Democrats in uh, more local offices at this point in time in West Virginia. It's very, very deep red state. And Manchin only barely won in 2018, which was a blue wave election year, just barely held off Patrick Morrissey, who's not a relation to me, uh, in West Virginia by about three points and didn't get to 50 percent in that race. There's a third a third uh, candidate in that race. So I think he's looking at this and saying, you know, I'm just about done here anyway. I really just want to wrap up without being too out of sorts with the people that I work with. And he was looking to cut a deal, but I'm not sure what Schumer's doing here because there's no way to, to have this type of a package uh, appeal to all the different sides of his own caucus. This is almost setting them up to fail. And I still haven't figured out what he thinks the end game here is going to be. I think the Schumer part of this might be the most fascinating because, you know, Joe Manchin, we knew they knew was going to be a tough get. They knew cinema was going to be yeah. a tough get. And they knew that both of them opposed the bill for different reasons. So the only sensible solution, uh, if you wanted to get this spending done, was to say basically to both of them, you guys write it. You know, write what you'll, you guys come up with whatever you'll vote for, and we'll probably agree with it. You put it together, let's negotiate this thing out, and come to a, a, essentially a three way solution. Instead, this seems to be, it seemed to have been done in private with mansion only and cinema left out in the cold. Everybody's curious about that, Stu. Nobody understands why cinema wasn't part of that conversation because she's been part of that balking at the at the spending package. But it, it even goes beyond that. When you look at this spending package, the first spending package, the, the Build Back Better plan, they created this among the progressives without ever counting Joe Manchin. They didn't negotiate this with Manchin at all up front. Mm. If you're Chuck Schumer and you're looking at a 50-vote caucus, even on a reconciliation bill, where you know that Republicans are not going to come along with you on this massive climate change spending and all of the other progressive hobby horse spending that you've got in this bill, you have to make sure that you've got 50 votes. You have to count heads. You have to get Manchin involved so that you know where you can shape this bill. Had they gotten Manchin involved in, say, April, May of last year, they may have been able to craft a bill that could have passed. But by the time you get to the point where they're starting to talk to Schumer, or starting to talk to Manchin, which is, I believe, in like September, well, now you've got inflation starting to tick up. 
you've got uh, you've got uh, this uh, a supply crisis, which is a supply chain crisis, excuse me, which is helping to fuel that. You've got energy policy, this inexplicable energy policy that Manchin hates, which is also driving this. And all they tried to do with Manchin for months is just steamroll him. And they didn't finally start talking to the guy in earnest until, what, November or December of last year. And then Joe Biden turned around and blamed him for the impasse, at which point Manchin said, I'm done talking to you at all. And then it was it was put to the side for, I think, three months, and they only started reviving it in March or April of this year. It's it's a crazy, crazy arc. I can't tell. I mean, it's, it seems just like complete incompetence, which, you know, I, honestly, I, yes. I, I appreciate, <laughs> frankly, at this point, or, or the damages could have been much, much worse. Um, I, and I'm fascinated. I, I feel like looking at, you know, cinema and mansion, mansion to me is a, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a familiar character he, a little bit in, in my world and where I feel like he's the type of guy that talks tough about spending and certain things, global warming and coal and keeping those things around to appease voters in West Virginia. So he looks like he's not just giving in to the left. But generally speaking, he usually comes around eventually. He usually votes for even a lot of the crazy stuff. Eventually he gets there. Watching Kirsten Cinema and, and looking at her background as she was running for election, I didn't see anything really. I, I didn't believe this moderate transition of Kirsten Cinema. Is it real? I mean, it seems like she has held the line at least a lot more than I would have ever imagined. Well, I think in the same sense here that Joe Manchin is representing a very deep red state. Kirsten Cinema is still representing a purple to red state, right? It's the reason why she went back to Arizona's Chamber of Commerce to say, all right, what can you live with that's in this uh, in this bill? What can you not live with? Let me see what it is that we can do to narrow this down so that you can live with the, the, the propositions in here. Uh, that's the reason why she's coming back and saying, look, you can't do the uh, carried interest tax change. You can't do a couple of the other corporate tax changes, and and she wants some extra money for drought relief. And the extra money for drought relief is like five billion dollars. They can, I mean, that's that's the easy part. They can easily add that in, and that's not gonna that's not gonna make them break a sweat. But how do you how do you take out the corporate tax hikes and keep Bernie Sanders and the progressives on board? Again, this is the reason why you had to have cinema in the negotiations. That this should have been a, a five or six member. Uh, negotiating team that sat down and actually produced this. I, and I still don't understand why Chuck Schumer can't understand that even though cinema is a progressive, and she is, I don't think that she's had a conversion to Republicanhood either. I, I'm with you. I'm very skeptical about that idea. But she's going to have to run for re-election in Arizona. And she's also trying to protect Mark Kelly, who's running in this cycle for re-election in Arizona. And so she's trying to make it so that he can get re-elected now, I understand why cinema is concerned about that. What I'm completely mystified about, Stu, is why Chuck Schumer isn't <laughs> isn't concerned about that. Yeah, it's been odd the entire time where like the 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 response to to both cinema and mansion, not only from like hardcore progressives uh, and activists who chase Kirsten cinema into bathrooms, but like even from like, set, you know, major senators are out there just berating both mansion and cinema for not going along with this. It has not worked. It has not won them over. Uh, and now we're at a point where and you have a great piece, Sanders and cinema agree, so-called Inflation Reduction Act stinks. And you go through this whole thing and you mentioned it a little bit there. Now, Sanders has come out and he's saying, wait a minute, I'm not going to go along with this and my allies aren't going to go along with this. This thing seems to be a house of cards all over again. 
It does. Now, do I think that Bernie Sanders is going to trash this thing in the end? No, I think Bernie Sanders will vote for it. But the problem is, is that it now has, even if Sanders votes for it, even if Cinema votes for it, even if Manchin votes for it and they get it out of the Senate, it's still got to go to the House where now Bernie Sanders has now characterized this as a corporate sellout, mm. where he's characterized it as a climate suicide pact. That was part of his speech yesterday on the Senate floor. And all of a sudden you get House progressives saying, OK, well, Sanders went along with it. But now our constituents are going to say that we're, we're participating in a corporate sellout and climate suicide pact. This is not a win any longer. It's it, I mean, all the value, all the political value, at least of this bill has been drained out of it by Bernie Sanders. Again, same thing happened with the bipartisan inf infrastructure bill um, and and exactly the same sequence. They, they they claimed it was a sellout to Joe Manchin because he didn't come along on Build Back Better. And so all of the political gain that you're going to get from this infrastructure bill just absolutely dissipated. Yeah, they're, I, they're, they're, they're snatching defeat from the jaws of a lesser defeat, basically, <laughs> is what I wrote today. Uh, you know, it's funny because you do see you picture, you know, let's say the squad, for example. I can't. Can you imagine AOC going along with this? I mean, I guess in the end she very well might fold, but she has all going to have all sorts of problems with it. And I, I my operating sort of uh, instructions throughout this entire process is there's just no way the Democrats with control of everything are going to leave, you know, a trillion dollars or a half a trillion right. dollars of spending on the table that they can get by not even getting one Republican. But I mean, Ed, are they going to leave a trillion dollars of spending on the table? You know, it's really interesting to watch. And don't forget that they have to get this done by September 30th because this is part of the reconciliation envelope for this budget cycle, mm. which ends on September 30th. So there's a real deadline involved here. They've got to get it. Now, they can certainly pass another budget resolution for the next fiscal year that will open up another uh, reconciliation envelope. But then you got to start everything all over again. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm still skeptical that any Democrat is actually going to spike this thing because you're right. There's a half a billion or $700 billion of, of real spending that they're going to have access to here. But I'm starting to find it difficult to figure out where they're going to come to an agreement to spend this. And I think it's not AOC that you have to worry about. I think it's Pramila Jayapal, mm. who don't forget was ready to torpedo a $2 trillion agreement that Manchin was floating before inflation really started taking off uh, because on the basis of that, it uh, they were they weren't going to take half a loaf anymore. It was time for the progressives to get what they wanted. This is this is a slice. This isn't even half a loaf. This is a slice. And I'm not sure that when you get this thing into the House, that Nancy Pelosi can actually push it through. Mm, that's, that's fascinating. And they got kind of tricked with Pelosi back last time when the, with the infrastructure bill as well. So that's part of the angst behind this as well. Uh, last one for you here, Ed. We forget that this started not as a $500 billion bill or even a trillion or 1.9, but 3.5. Bernie Sanders wanted $6 trillion of spending. And of course, with the inflation that wound up happening, that would have been cataclysmic to our economy. Yeah. I mean, is there a political argument that this breakdown of the spending is the best thing that could have happened to Democrats because they would have made the situation much, much worse? Yes, I think it's the best thing that could have happened to Democrats. And frankly, the best thing that could have happened to the country was having this thing derailed. And don't forget, it wasn't three and a half trillion. It was actually the, the first versions of this were five trillion plus. <laughs> Uh, if once you took out all of the, you know, the phony uh, budgeting, it 
it was over $5 trillion. They trimmed it back somewhat. The CBO came back with $4.5 trillion at one point. I think that was in September of last year, which was when Manchin started balking at this. And the, the $1.75 or $1.8 trillion version of this still had those budget gimmicks in it. And it was actually more like $3 trillion once you unpack those. So, mm-hmm. I mean, th- I mean, this is it, it's gone through a number of iterations. It keeps shrinking. And I'm not necessarily sure exactly what the CBO score is going to be on this one. I think we've, I think the CBO score is out now, and I think it's pretty close to what the what the uh, published numbers were. Um, of course, the parliamentarians still dealing with this bill, even while they're still negotiating it. This is, I mean, it, it's this is not the way you want to see legislation come down in the August prior to a midterm election. No, no. It's cluster after cluster after cluster. Yes. Uh, always great analysis from Ed Morrissey, He's a senior editor for Hot Air and host of the Ed Morrissey Show. Make sure to check it out and always uh, check out all the stuff he writes. So it's always so insightful. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Ed. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, sir. In order to even have to care about inflation, you have to be alive. And if you're a woman right now who has a difficult pregnancy that's threatening your health, uh, you know what? That's going to matter a lot more to you, I think, than, than, than inflation. Inflation, it's almost a privilege to care about inflation oh. as your number one issue. Oh. Um, okay, the why? same is true of gas prices or even the idea that it's the economy stupid. I always found that analysis lacking because, because. as a black person, I don't want to get killed on the way to my job. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm glad I have a job. I'm yeah. glad I make a living wage. But if I can't be alive, <laughs> then what does <laughs> that other stuff matter? You're right, that's funny, that's funny. Uh, especially when you're talking about abortion because how do you think the baby would analyze that? If I can't be alive, I can't have a job. Huh. It's weird when you think about it that way. It kind of makes a lot of sense. It's not really a privilege, by the way, uh, to care about inflation. It's something we really haven't had to care about in, I don't know, 40 years. So not much of a privilege. And by the way, you're getting to work fine every day. Don't 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 sweat it. Don't sweat it. Um, Pennsylvania Senate nominee uh, John Fetterman. He's had some white privilege. Now, he's the guy, he's a man of the people. He's wearing a hoodie. He's also almost dead, as he almost died of a stroke and seemingly has not been on the campaign trail at all. Uh, This has helped him because the more he talks, probably the worse his uh, polling would be. But he's beating Dr. Oz in in most polls right now. But uh, this is bizarre in that uh, Philadelphia paper uh, reported by the Daily uh, Wire shows that he was receiving uh, a, an allowance into his 40s. Now, I don't remember ever getting an, al- an allowance as a kid. You know, you lived at the house and you get food. There you go. Good, good job, kid. But uh, Philadelphia Inquirer is saying that he got $54,000 from his parents in 2015 as an allowance Fascinating. Ron DeSantis came out today and suspended a Soros-backed state attorney who refused to enforce the abortion ban. Now, I don't know, honestly, enough about Florida law to know if he's going to get heat for this, whether the courts are going to like this move. But I will say there has to be something that can be done when these these district attorneys, these state attorneys are just not enforcing the law. You go through these big debates and say X, Y and Z is illegal. They're crimes. And then this one guy by himself can just be like, yeah, well, we're never going to arrest anyone for it. We're never going to prosecute anyone for it. So it's not really a crime. That's kind of a problem. And I love this story more than anything. GOP governors have now caused havoc 
by busing migrants to the East Coast. Honestly, I kind of I kind of blew this one off a little bit when it was started. Uh, Greg Abbott uh, started doing it and it was kind of a funny uh, symbolic gesture. I never thought that you'd get a story like this in the New York Times where multiple big city mayors are like, we can't handle it. Oh, there's been 4,000 migrants busted to our city of 10 million people. What do we do? I don't know what you do with your $31 million homeless budget, but I can tell you this, border towns in Texas don't have $31 million uh, homeless budgets. They are taking in 4,000 illegal immigrants a day into their communities and they have to deal with it. So suck it up, D.C., figure it out. Back in a second. You know, it's almost like um, a privilege to worry about inflation. That's what we just learned from MSNBC. Yeah, I don't think that's true. In fact, inflation is real. It's hitting people like crazy. The recession, I know uh, we were changing the definitions like crazy of these words, but that one's real too. If all your money is in the market or tied to the U.S. dollar, you're messing with fire, and it's critical to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. If you text STU to 989898, you'll get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, gold is the right investment to make for so many people. Maybe you. Text STU to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Get the information. Understand the process here and protect yourself from all the craziness in the world. Text STU to 989898. You'll get the free no-obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. It's Birch Gold. And the the, uh, texting, again, is STU to 989898. Tonight, the return of the National Football League. Yes. I don't care that no one is going to be on the field that you know. I just care that football is back on my television. And for that reason, I'll check it out. I don't care. Um, One of the big stories in the NFL today is that the NFL is now appealing the ruling on Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns. He was suspended six games by an arbiter. And this is such a bizarre case. The arbiter looked at 25 uh, allegations and they threw out most of them. I think it was um, 13 or 14 of them they threw out. And like seven or eight of them, they couldn't get in touch with. They didn't want to say anything, so they threw those out too. They only looked at four of them. And of those four, they weren't violent in any way, supposedly. Now, I don't know how that, I don't know how that works, honestly. I don't want to know how it works. But they gave them six games. They said there's no precedent. The NFL said they wanted a year. We now also learn that there have been 25 lawsuits filed against Deshaun Watson. He had settled 20 of them already. Then, as of Monday, he, uh, he was able to do three of the remaining four. So I guess uh, one, one was dropped, and then three of the remaining. There's only one left. And then the big initial accuser that kind of started this whole ball rolling, she's now settled. So he settled with 24 of the 25 accusers, or one, one of those had been dismissed. So, I mean, this guy's gone to work to try to get his career back. Uh, I don't know how this stuff works. To me, it, it, I don't know what a nonviolent sexual assault is. I, I don't understand the law, apparently, well enough. But uh, Deshaun J- w- uh, Watson is going to play in the preseason, I guess, and supposedly be back in week seven for the Cleveland Browns. We'll see how that goes. 
Have you been to BlazeSocks.com yet? Do you have the new socks? Yes, BlazeSocks.com. If you go there, again, use the promo code StuSocks for 20% off right now. There's a great collection of socks. There's even socks with Glenn Beck's wonderfully svelte face on it. Uh, you can get that. You, there's like a Klaus Schwab one. I mean, <laughs> they're really funny designs. You check them out at BlazeSocks.com. BlazeSocks.com. Use the promo code StuSocks for 20% off. We'll see you tomorrow.